Our scriptures for this week remind us of the importance of two things. The embodiment of faith and our need to be in this together. Sifra and Puah, the midwives in young Moses' life, act as one. And Israel as a nation acts as one to bring justice to the people. And we are meant to present our bodies as one, as a living sacrifice. Only together are we the body of Christ. It's our collective witness that truly lets the world know that Jesus is who Peter claimed Him to be. While there's much that I could say about each of these texts, I would like to focus on the first reading that David did. The reading of the story of Moses' birth and early childhood. It would be easy to skim over that story and focus simply on Moses, which is what we usually do. But there's some interesting elements early on that deserve our attention. A new king arose over Egypt, one who did not know Joseph, is how the text begins. And it's an important line. It's an ominous line. It tells us that hard times, no doubt, are soon to come to the Israelites and that God's plans are in peril. Their new king is unaware of Joseph. Their new king doesn't know that Joseph was close to the one true God, that Joseph was wise and compassionate in the way in which his leadership had brought disparate groups of people together right there in Egypt. But there's a new sheriff in town, is another way to say it. And it doesn't bode well for the Israelites. Forced servitude ensues. And even though Pharaoh is the most powerful person in all of Egypt, he is afraid of his captives. He takes decisive action and orders that every male born to the Israelites be killed. Make no doubt about it, this is a story of racism and ethnic cleansing. Pharaoh is afraid of being outnumbered and overrun by the Israelite people. Pharaoh was paranoid and afraid, and he acted irrationally. Does that sound familiar at all? I can't help but think of that line, those who forget the past are doomed to repeat it. And I hope that isn't true, but we find it even in the Scriptures. Herod's behavior at the time of Jesus' birth is very similar to Pharaoh's. And we see it, of course, even in our world today. Behavior rooted in fear more than fact. The events in Charlottesville two weeks ago are a prime example. White supremacists and neo-Nazis inciting violence and embodying hate that not only ended in death, but threatens the very fabric of our society One of the arguments I heard from those in the hate groups to justify their behavior was the fear that they're soon going to be outnumbered, that white people are going to be overcome by the minorities that make up our country. It echoes the voice of Pharaoh. Look, Pharaoh said, the Israelite people are more numerous and more powerful than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them. That same sentiment 
is also echoed in the history of this very city, dating back to the time of Gabriel Prosser and even earlier, when on multitude occasions the powers that be here in this town, the white folk, sought to put down African Americans when their numbers were equal to or greater than their own. By stopping the transatlantic slave trade when the numbers became too high, by demanding that freed slaves leave the state and not stay here in the city, by selling slaves downriver, and more recently by massive resistance. I want to return to the story, though, the story of Moses' birth, because as the text continues, it includes a tender and redemptive side. There is hope here. There's hope for the Israelites and for us. It's a story of contrast between what theologian Sally Purvis calls power as control and power as life. And the life-giving part of this story is found in the women. Their courage, too. The behavior of the women is an early example of civil disobedience. They stand up to the powers that be in ways that protect life and ensure not only the future of Moses, but more importantly, the liberation of an entire people. Their behavior coincides with God's behavior to bring justice and freedom. They act modestly, but their modest behavior creates momentum that carries the liberating story of the Exodus forward. It gets it started like a small pebble dropped in a pond that soon ripples out in wider circles, creating movement from oppression to freedom and despair to hope. And they simply defy the decree of Pharaoh. Shifra and Puah did not listen to the command. They were told, they were told to go as midwives and to kill the boys that were born. But they refused to do it. And of course, God blessed their efforts, we're told in the text. When Pharaoh came to them and told them to kill the Israelite boys that were born, they lied and said that the Hebrew women are having babies too quickly. We can't keep up, they told the Pharaoh. The midwives were not able to get there in time to make a difference, or at least the difference that Pharaoh wanted. They played upon Pharaoh's fear. The Israelites were growing in number, they told him. And Pharaoh's own daughter was complicit too. She disobeyed her father's orders and took pity on Moses and even paid a Hebrew Hebrew wet nurse to take care of him, a woman that she probably knew was the child's mother. And Miriam, Moses' older sister, helped negotiate the entire things, waiting in the wings until the baby was found, and then coming out and offering to help. It's a remarkable story, a story of disobedience and courage, a story that's too easily overlooked. But without these women acting as they did, the rest of the story couldn't be told, how Moses grew to be a great leader, and Israel was freed from bondage in Egypt. God acts through ordinary and unsuspecting people in this story. 
And God can act through ordinary people like you and me. Our courage and willingness to stand up to oppressive power is not wasted. In fact, God may be waiting for it, expecting it. Our faithfulness becoming a conduit for God's redemptive action in the world, even now. But if we stand idly by, we can be assured that things won't change anytime soon. And that would make some people happy. But like the women in the story, we're called to care for our own children. We're expected to act, especially when others won't. We're not expected to kill the firstborn, thank God. But there are powers that expect us to remain silent as our city schools go deeper in debt, as facilities fall apart, and isolated neighborhoods where our children play become more and more violent. But we have a choice. We can collaborate with power as control through our silence and complacency, or we can defy it and participate instead in power as life, like Sufra and Pua, Miriam and Pharaoh's daughter, even Moses' mother. We can create new schemes of midwifery. How about that? New schemes of midwifery today that care for our children and help ensure a better future for all of us. I can't help but think of the Armstrong Leadership Project program and uh, the MICA Association, as well as the Armstrong Priorities Freshman Academy. Tomorrow, seniors in the Armstrong Leadership Project will be here at Richmond Hill uh, for their week of leadership training as they get ready for school to start next week. And the MICA Initiative Association will kick off the year very soon and engage hundreds of volunteers in our city going to public schools to assist teachers and to spend time with our children. These are ways that many are saying no to complacency and yes to life. Our young people deserve nothing less. God is still at work in the world today and in this very city There are those who still see power as control and manipulation as the only way. There are still many pharaohs out there. But just as God's grace was active in the life of Moses and his people, God's faithfulness and compassion are alive and well even now. The invitation is for us, like the women in this story, to defy injustice and to stand up for life. Together and with God's help, things will be different. Amen.